Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. Don't you love dependable people? Am I uh, alone on that one? Have you ever noticed that dependable people are in short supply? And they say this, you've probably heard this before, uh, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And I thought to myself, why is that? And I believe one of the reasons is a lot of times busy people are productive people, are uh, dependable people. And I've called this morning's message, I've called it The Dependables. I think there was a movie called that a while back. I don't know what that movie was about, but uh, I really want to talk about being a dependable person and um, for us to, to actually rise up so that we can be the kind of person that other people can, can lean on, that we can understand the whole concept of being dependable. I, I thank God for the dependable people in my life. And that, these are people that I don't have to guess whether they're going to show up. If somebody says, hey, I'll give you a ride to the airport, and, you know, my flight is at 11 o'clock. i got to be there at 9 o'clock and leave the house at 8 o'clock. Uh, I'm not wondering. I wonder if they're going to be there at 8 o'clock to give me a ride to the airport so I won't be late for my flight. Dependable people are going to be there. You can count on that. Same thing when you come off a flight. And for me, you know, going back to the States, uh, it's like the flight from from hell. It's a long flight. And you just know it. You know you've been on an airplane. And it's nice when you get through customs, you get your bags, you come out into the concourse, and there they are. Who? Dependable person, whoever that is. For me, my wife, she's dependable. Uh, There's no guesswork there. She's going to be there if we've agreed on something. She's there for me. And all you men, I hope that your wives are the same. And I hope that all you Wives, your husbands are the same. It's such a great quality to have in any relationship. There is, however, a quality that isn't spoken highly of, and it's something that I don't believe has a place in God's economy, and yet it's prevalent, prevalent in our society, and that is independent people. It seems to be a virtue in society to be independent. I, I don't know if that Uh, originated with maybe Marlon Brando or somebody back in Hollywood where the leather jacket, the cigarette, you know, leaning on the motorcycle and just being independent was was associated with being cool. Uh, The trouble is when it comes to God's church and God's body and all the different words that the the body of Christ is known for, uh, independence just isn't in there. It's not actually listed as a fruit of the Spirit. You can go looking for it, but being independent is not something that, in God's economy anyway, that he approves of. In fact, it's juxtaposed to dependence. And being dependable means that you're also dependent. Now, a lot of times, independent people will say, I, I am dependent, I'm, it's just me and God, and I'm dependent on God, and I don't depend on anybody else. Have you ever thought about that for a moment, though, how silly that is? Think about for a moment the things that you do in life that you are totally dependent on other people for it to happen. 
Take, for instance, that cup of coffee, if you're a coffee drinker, that you might have drank this morning. I, I don't know uh, whether it was here or Zarafas or somewhere else, but how, how many people did it take to get you a cup of coffee? Well, you say, well, I just went over and uh, I put the grounds in the machine and I pushed the button and out the coffee came. Well, who grew the coffee? Who picked the coffee beans? Who was it that got that shipped over to our country or wherever it was shipped from? Who was it that got it into the grocery store and put it on all five or wherever you bought your coffee from? Think about for a moment just uh, getting to church or getting to work. You've got a car. Who made that car? Dependable people. Who, who, who got the fuel there for your car? It wasn't you. You didn't go uh, and dig a, a, a well and, and pump your own oil and refine it and then get it shipped over and put in your car. It's a, it's a whole process in life. We are so dependent on other people. But then flip the page and think, think about church for a moment. Think about spiritual things, if you will. Because that's where we're going to go this morning as we're talking uh, about church. I want us to see that being dependent is actually a good thing, and we all are. Every one of us is dependent on all the other of us. Whether we realize it or acknowledge that or not, being dependent is fantastic. There is a word, however, that I believe is uh, very much a concept when it comes to the, uh, the body of Christ or the church, if you will, and it's not independent, it's actually interdependent. Interdependence is where a, depend a person that's dependent on other people gets together with others and they become dependent upon each other. That's the way that the body of Christ functions. And we'll, uh, we'll look uh, more on that. I think about, I think about Gideon in, in Judges chapter 7, and I won't take too much time with, uh, with that, but in Judges chapter 7, the, the uh, nation of Israel is going up against the Midianites. There's 135,000 soldiers that they're going to go up against. They've got 32,000. Not very good odds. Uh, that's like, uh, what is it, 4 to 1 or something like that. That's not really good odds when you think about how they fought back then. Swords, spears, maybe bow and arrows. <laughs> Like, you got to find it out. We're, we're not shooting from a distance here. We're not going to lob some bombs or some hand grenades over it. Like, you're going to have to face off against the enemy. If you're a man, what a frightening thing. If you lose, it means your whole family, your whole village, wherever you're at, they're all going to suffer big time if you don't pull it off. And here's Gideon, and the Lord speaks to Gideon in, uh, in Judges chapter 7. And, and this is what he has to say. I uh, will read this. The Lord said to Gideon in verse 2, you have too many men. You got 32,000 against 135,000. You got too many. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. That's the independent spirit or the independent mindset that is prevalent, I might add, in Christendom. And God says, I'll have none of that. Because firstly, you're never going to boast about the things of God. If you do, well, then you're the hero of the story. 
the Pharisees got in trouble and Jesus continually contended with them because they prided themselves as keepers of the law. They were so much into themselves that they had tumbling Pharisees, which they didn't want to lust after a woman, so they'd do somersaults if a woman was coming by so that they couldn't possibly lust after a woman. You'll never be the hero of the story. We just had a great worship time here singing about worthy is the lamb and how worthy that Jesus is because Jesus is the one that fulfilled all of that, that you cannot possibly be the hero of the story. When you take up that role uh, of hero of the story, you just undid everything that Jesus Christ went to the cross for. When he said it's finished, he meant it's finished. He fulfilled it, every bit of it. You can never do that. Amen. And we find here that going up against an army, there's, there's an independent spirit in the army of Israel. And God says, we're going to deal with that because you're not going to be the hero of the story. You're not going to say, my own strength saved me. Church, your own strength does not save you today. It didn't save back then, and it will never, ever save it's his salvation, and it's a free gift to all of us. It's received freely, or it's not received at all. And then he says to Gideon, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. That's where they were camped. So 22,000 men left, 10,000 remain. Now we got 10,000 going up against 135,000. The odds now are really stacked against Israel. But he goes further. Still not good enough. <laughs> you're still, you're still going to be able to claim some kind of a victory with 10,000. Verse 4, so the Lord said to Gideon, still too many men, take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there God, there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Now, picture this because it can be a little bit confusing, but um, the way a dog laps is, how many people are dog lovers? You've watched your dog, right? <laughs> he says, now separate those ones from the ones that just go face into the water. In other words, it's all about me. I am so thirsty. I don't care about you. I'm just, it's, it's all about me. Again, that's that independent spirit. So I'm going to dive right into the water and, and let the, you know, just suck that water up. The other ones are going to kneel. They're going to pick the water up, cup that water, and lap it like a dog. I want you to pick those ones because they are mindful of the rest of the army not just of themselves. Have you ever been like desperately thirsty? I mean like, you know, haven't had a drink and it's a hot day and you've been exercising or something like that. And uh, man, like when you can get a bottle of water or there's a, a, a drinking fountain or something, it's like, here we go. I am, I'm just going to drink and drink and drink and drink. And, and to say no to that to actually look out for other people in the midst of that, well, that's what dependable people do. That's what people 
that are looking out and mindful about the things of God and about what God values and treasures, which is his family, which is his bride, which is his body, which is his church. Those kind of people are rare, but God says those are the ones that I'm going to pick. And so in, in verse uh, 6, he says, 300 of them drank with cupped hands, lapping like dogs, and the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Independent people. I find being a pastor now, 35 years here, and being in full-time ministry about 40 years, you get to watch things, you get to know people. Uh, there's hardly anything that surprises me anymore. I, I you know, never thought I would say that, but I've kind of, uh, somebody goes, oh, this person, blah, 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 blah. And I go, yeah, I've met him. They go, what? You've met George? It's like, no. Name wasn't George. It was John, Sally, Joe, Kim, you know, whatever. I've met that person like a thousand times, seriously. There is nothing new under the sun. And the thing about independent people is they disguise their independence as spirituality. Oh, you know, it's just me and God. <laughs> and I think, yeah, okay. That's really good, except what God said way back in the garden uh, to Adam, who had God all to himself. Got to think about that for a moment. It was just God and Adam. Woo, how good does it get? God saw he was lonely and he said, it's not good. Everything else was good. He says the trees are good, the moon, the sea, the land, the, everything else God created. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Ooh, this isn't good. What? That man should be alone. That's not good. And, and to be out there by yourself, independent as some kind of form of spirituality is actually a form of pride, and it's actually a, a, a deception. We're meant to be dependent not only on God, but each other. That's why church, we're talking church, that's, that's one of the big whys of why the church exists and why it's very important for you to be part uh, of a local church. We're meant to be dependent. God wants us to be interdependent, which is dependent on him and dependable to each other. The definition of interdependent is this, two or more people or things dependent on each other. Have you ever wondered why so many problems exist in the church? Have you ever wondered why so many promises don't get fulfilled? Has anybody else ever wondered that? Where, where are the double portion of miracles? Jesus said, these things shall you do. He did a lot of cool things. He was always the dependable one to the dependent person. I think about blind Bartimaeus. He's blind. Jesus says, what can I do for you, <laughs> Lord, that I might receive my sight? And the man's healed. Another blind person, Jesus, makes some spit and dirt, and shoves it in the guy's eye. The guy gets healed. Then I think about the disciples, those that follow Jesus. 
They're always coming into dependent people, people that are dependent on other people, and they become dependable. I think about the man that was uh, laid daily at the a gate called Beautiful in Acts chapter 3, and uh, they come upon him, silver and gold, we don't have any, but such as we have, give our thee, rise up and be healed. The guy gets up, instantly healed, causes quite a big commotion, and the disciples get persecuted for a healing because, oh, after all, the law says you can't heal on the Sabbath day. Ever wonder why these promises don't happen? One of the reasons is because of the prayer or the lack of prayer of agreement. Agreement is where two or more people, in fact, there's some great scriptures on this because, uh, uh, ex, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 18, I'm just going to read this, it won't come up, but ex, sorry, Matthew 18, 19, and 20, Jesus talking, he says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you, <laughs> one of you, two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 24, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Seems to me that Jesus has something about people getting together. Seems to me that Jesus has this thing about uh, dependency, and, and not, not just an independent person dependent upon God, but doesn't need anybody else. It seems like God has this thing that we that He really wants His believers, His followers, to get together with other believers, with other followers. And He says, He says, "I'm there." When you guys can do that, even if there's just two of you or three, if you will do that, I, I'm in. I, I'm there in the midst of you. And a three-stranded cord, the Scripture says, cannot be broken. And at one strand, you're going to break, independent person. Two strands, eh, you know, you might, you're, you're stronger than if you're one, but three cannot be broken. You've got a rope now that somebody else can, can grab a hold of, and, and you can reach out, you can rescue more people that way. I, I agree it, it is such a big thing. It's in, interdependence, and yet independence is a trap. Now, here's how the trap goes, and I've, again, uh, seen this so much, seeing the promises of God for you independent of everybody else. Well, you know, all those promises, write them all out, plaster them on the mirror, memorize them all, as if it's just about you and nobody else. It's such a trap. The promises of God are not to any of us without the rest of us. Oh, I know it's going to get quiet in here, and I want that to drop, because I'm about to, I'm about to drop something. It's, it's good. Trust me. See, the promises were not given to you and you and you. They were actually given, no, not even to us, oh, smart, wise one. <laughs> they were given to Jesus. They're only ours because we're part of the body of Christ. That's the only reason you've got those promises. And the big reason that these promises, and there's so many of them, and they're so profound, 
aren't happening is because of independent spirit that's not part of the body of Christ, refuses to be part of a, of a group called the body of Christ, refuses to do things God's way. They're just going to do it independently and name and claim a whole bunch of promises for themselves, and I don't need to get alongside in an agreement with anybody else. Now, Galatians 3.16, this has to come up. This is so good. Galatians 3.16. You know John 3.16. Well, just think Galatians. You'll you'll remember this. The promises were spoken to Abraham. Now, Abraham is called the father of our faith. God spoke to Abraham or Abram at the time. He says, you're going to be the father of many nations. He gives them a a promise that in you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Your your, uh, descendants are going to be like the sand on the seashore. That's how many, or the stars of the sky. Abraham, man, you are blessed. I'm giving you these incredible promises. But the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, singular. Scripture does not say, and to seeds meaning many people, but, and to your seed, everybody say seed, not seeds, seed, meaning one person who is Christ. The promise, the promises were giving, given to one person person, that person is Christ. And it says this in, the, in the, uh, the same passage further down. It says, and you being in Christ, you are Christ's seeds, uh, uh, heirs according to the promise. If you're in him, then you are in the seed, you are in the promise. If you're out of him, then those promises are not yours. They were given to him. So how to be a dependable person? And I've called again, this message is called The Dependables. I go over to Philippians chapter 2. I love the uh, Passion Translation. It's not a paraphrase. It's an actual translation. I think it's a very good one. Um, In a lot of time, they haven't done the whole Bible yet, but it's profound what they have done. I really encourage you, uh, you know, to read the Passion Translation and uh, especially Psalms and Proverbs and that in the New Testament. Uh, it's, it's just amazing stuff. And uh, it's one of the many translations that I like to look at and, and just read its personal devotions. But in Philippians 2, it says, look at how much encouragement, and I, I'm going to accentuate the word you or your, anything where Y-O-U is in, in the word. Look at how much encouragement you have found in your relationship with the anointed one. I could say yes and amen, and most of you could say yes and amen to that since you asked Jesus Christ into your heart. Have you been encouraged? Oh, yeah. Have you found uh, some encouragement in spending time with God in your relationship with the anointed? Oh, yeah. You are, you, you are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. 
Man, like that, if you have not received that, the overflow, that's spilling over, that's, that's what it means to be filled. You're not filled until you're overflowing, until it's bubbling out, until hallelujah is coming out of your mouth. You're singing uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that says, be filled with the Spirit, singing to yourself, singing to one another. It's, it's coming out. You can't keep the, the wine in the bottle, so to speak. You are overflowing. You have, have done that. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's not power like electricity. He's a person. You can't have friendship with electricity, a force. The force be with you, the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. Father's a person, Son's a person. Holy Spirit is a person. You, you have experienced a deepening friendship with God, in other words, the Holy Spirit, and have felt his tender affection and mercy. Don't you just love what's in it for me? Don't you just love that you have experienced that? I love the fact I've been encouraged. I, I, I'm filled. I, I've got this, this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now verse 2, Paul writes, he says, so I'm asking you, speaking to you, individual, I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. The independence is a refusal to do that, or at the very least, it's, oh, it's not necessary. I don't need to do that. It's just me and God, like Adam and God. Walk together. That's why we entitled part of our series or our message, and we got a value statement out in the foyer that we walk together. We walk together even when it hurts. Oh, we're going to get to even when it hurts, but right now, we're just talking about walking together. Why walk together? Why gather? Why, why dinner parties? Why church on a Sunday? Why, why prayer meeting at 9 a.m.? Why, why do we bother getting together? I'm giving you the reason why this morning. Whether you do it or not is really up to you. You can either be obedient on God or not. But he says walk together. How? With one harmonious purpose. And you will fill my heart with un bounded joy. Do you know that every decision affects someone else? And when we make personal decisions without regard to other people, that, that independence of doing that, uh, of, uh, of not even thinking about, now how is my decision going to affect someone else? I watch it all the time. People just think of me and my and, and my and I and and I just make my decision. It's just, I don't need to think about anybody else that's going to make that decision independent, you know. And, and I felt God saying, and it's just me and God again, independent of anybody else. He says, walk together in one harmonious purpose. You'll fill my heart with unbounded joy. Verse 3. Here's what stops the dependables from becoming dependables. Be free. From pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm <laughs> your cherished unity. Have you ever met an opinionated person? Some of you don't look to your neighbor. Don't look behind you. 
Have you ever met an opinionated person that was wrong and you knew they were wrong? <laughs> but they're going to stick to their opinion. I got my opinion. My opinion. It's called my pride. <laughs> I can't change. I can't. I, I'm opinionated to the point people are opinionated, especially in religion, I'll be honest, to the point where they'll fight over stupid stuff, even if they're wrong. It doesn't matter. I'll fight about it. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm cherished unity. See, pride just says, I, I, I don't need you, and it doesn't matter. My opinion is what matters. I can do it on my own. Do, do not or don't allow self-promotion. Oh, and this is where self-promotion goes. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, like a snake. It's what Satan did when he was cast out of, of heaven. He said, I'll exalt my throne above the throne of the Most High. He was promoting himself above God. Not a very smart thing to do. God's worship leader. And uh, I, do not allow, don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. But in authentic humility. And there's a difference between false humility and authentic humility. Pretty easy to spot it, but often goes undetected. Humble people will let you know how humble they are. Always letting you know how humble they are. <laughs> They're so humble. You know? Oh. <laughs> but you know if they're humble or really humble or not, because a humble person, and, and we won't turn to this, but I think it's First Timothy 5, you know, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. How? How, God? How do I humble myself under the mighty hand of God, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you, and he will exalt you in due time. God's not against you being exalted. It's just that he wants to be the one that lifts you up, not you lifting yourself up based on, oh, I fast, and oh, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. Look at me. No. It's pride. It's a snake. It's self-promotion hiding in the heart. And God will reveal and expose the heart of a prideful person. Always. Because pride comes before what? Before a fall. It's, and, and part of the reason that this is such a big deal is because man was made in the image of God. The omega uh, deo, it's called in Latin. The omega deo. And, and we see every human being either is in the image of God or we don't acknowledge that they're in the image of God and we mistreat them and we, and we cut across what God wants to do. We de deface uh, God when we deface people. You have not looked at one single person on the face of the earth that God does not love intensely. You have not seen that person. For God so loved the world. Think about the people in the world, if you will. For God so loved the world Every human being that he gave is only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would what? Be saved. Jesus took the defects, the defacing, if you will, of humanity, the, the, the points where they don't look like God anymore because they've been defaced through sin and through corruption and through this life. And he took all of that. It says In Colossians it says, he took the handwriting of ordinances, which was the law. He took it, on the, nailed it to the cross, wiping it out of the way. Isn't that good news? You can't add to that. When he said, 
It's finished. He meant it's finished. All done. Done and dusted. To whomsoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. How can we say we're following him and promote ourselves at the same time? It doesn't work that way. Put others first. Back to that scripture. Put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. View other people as more important than your stupid opinion. Put others first. You know, one of the things when I, before I was a pastor, I used to think about going to church. And my whole basis of making the decision was me. I worked all night going to Bible college. You know, I had the night shift. I did work at a hotel as a bellman and drove a limousine. I had two jobs going to Bible school. And, you know, I was dog tired when the sun came up and it was Sunday morning. And I was like, the last thing I want to do is just go to church. You know, I'd drink a bunch of coffee and then, you know, I'd be in in the service just waiting to go home and go to bed because, you know, I have to work again and go to school Monday all day and then work all night. And, you know, I'm in that that grind that just kept one day rolling into the next day. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Perhaps you're there right now. You know, I'm with you. And God really reminded me of something that, the narrative's not about it. As much as I wanted to go to church for me, I, I, you know, I hope the worship's good. This, I hope it's really good today because if it's not, you know, I'm out of here. I'm going to go home and go to bed. I hope the message uh, is good today because if, if it's not good, I'm just going to slip out the back jail. I'm not going to hang around here. But, but God reminded me that you go because of other people. You put other people first, not just God, but other people as well. It just sounds so spiritual not to include other people. Yet God, thank God, included other people. When I show up now, I show up because I look forward. I want to encourage somebody. I want to impart something, not just from the front with a microphone, but in the foyer or wherever I go. I want to be an encouragement to somebody. I'm there for somebody. How about you? Put others first. View others as more important than yourself. Verse 4, abandon every display of selfishness. Oh, but the church would do that. Oh, but people would abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Are you getting the heart of God here? You know, I... I love the letters, the love, love letters that Paul wrote, the epistles to the churches. This is one of my favorites. Read this in every translation. This is amazing stuff that God, that, that Paul is writing, the heart of God being poured out. Put others first. Look at people, other people's interests before you own. Abandon every display of self. Oh, they're going to go to church. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I'm going to go this morning. Oh, you know, he's just going to talk about unity again, and I don't need unity because I'm independent. It's just me and God. Oh, goodness me. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. I read the story of a woman you might have read it. it was on the news uh, this past week who got lost in the jungle 
up in North Queensland. She was on a trail. She took a wrong turn. She was with a group of people, and, you know, probably they're all kind of spread out or something, and she got lost. And uh, I don't know if you've ever, ever been lost in, in a jungle. I've been lost in many different places, and it's not fun. You think, oh, no. Like, try to re, re, retrace your steps, and this feeling, this overwhelming feeling starts to encroach. I'm all alone here. I can't find my way out of that. She was rescued because somebody decided that she was more important than their own interests, and they, re- and they organized a rescue party, and they went looking for this woman, and they found this woman. Thank God she's alive. She got rescued. God rescued you from a jungle, from a maze, from a myriad of sin and choices, and from your own selfishness. He formed a rescue party called the church. I don't know how many people here would have gotten saved or would be Christ followers if it wasn't for somebody part of an organization called the church that reached out that somebody that, that's a follower of Jesus Christ shared the gospel, whether that was on television as part of a church service or a, a Sunday morning, or I don't know how, but I know I would not be here following God. I would have continued down my selfish path in business and selfishness and partying. I would have continued going down that path if it wasn't for dear saints of God that were part of the church of a living God that got together and organized an all-out search rescue for a 21-year-old idiot called Ed. And, verse 5, consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us Let his mindset become, oh, I love this, your motivation. Isn't that, that is so good. Let let his mindset, (laughs) let his mindset become your motivation. What motivates you in life? What are you motivated by to do whatever you do? Let his mindset, he being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Why? For you? Let that mindset be your motivation. Promises are not written to me, they're written to we. Promises are not just for me, they're for all of us who abide in him. John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask. What does it mean to remain in him? Be part of his body. Promises came, not just on an individual, but they came to a whole people through Christ. I see people all the time. We're getting ready to close. I'd like the keys to come up, thanks. We do have, yeah, we got keys, of course. <laughs> have you ever seen people, I'm, I'm getting ready to land here, but uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I got it. I got to land it here. People often, whenever something bad happens, they go, where was God? Where was God when that earthquake happened? Where was God when that flood happened? Where was God when that devastation happened, that drought? 
Where was God? Where was God? Where was God? The question is, where were you? Earthquakes, famine, plane crash, war. How could there be a God? Why doesn't God do something? Well, he, he wants to. But how much does your head do without your body? See, he's the head, not the body. We're, we're the body. The head is Christ. The body is, hello. What can you do without your body? Well, I can hear, I can see, and I can smell, I can taste. The head does that. Prayers go up before him, a sweet-smelling savor before him. He sees things, he speaks his word. Well, what can you really do without, a, without your body? Try to take the trash, the rubbish out without your body. You know, try to do that with your head sometime. Try to mow the lawn with your head. Try to drive the car with your head. Try to help somebody pick something up with your head. <laughs> God, why don't you do something? Because he's the head. You're the body. Get together. The hands, the feet, the arms, every part of the body. Get together and be my body and do what I'm telling you to do. Have the mindset and listen to what I'm telling you to do and, and you will have what to do. But the trouble is, I don't want to. Because for me to acknowledge that I don't have it all is to acknowledge that I need you. And I don't want to need you. I want to just do it on my own. I don't want to be dependent on anybody. See, the flesh, independence, resists that. But think for a moment of the evil in this world that would be eliminated if the body of Christ got together and got into agreement and saw that these promises of God are for him, his body, the seed, and if you are in him, you are part of that seed and those promises are for you and therefore you become bread to the hungry, you become healing to the sick, you become someone to visit those that are lonely and in prison, Matthew chapter 25, you didn't come and visit me, when did we not come? As much as you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me as much as you did it to the least of these. You did it to me. The body of Christ is to rise up. That's why I'm preaching this sermon is about, come on, saints. God doesn't do anything, it seems, without his body. And that's all of us. He's not allowing suffering. His church is allowing it. Be the healing to the wounded, the wisdom, the sight to the blind, family to orphans, church is about all of us but I don't want to need you because if I do I got to treat you like God treats you I got to forgive you I got to love you I got to pray for you I got to talk about you I've, uh, well I've got to get along with you I don't want to do that I want to stick with the independent stream I'm closing right now but reality check you're not that big Hoss that you can do this by yourself you just are not that talented, that rich, that gifted, 
that you can say, I don't need church. And to say that, think that, and, and not participate in what the body of Christ is to do to solve this world's problems, all through you, it's not a good thing. No matter how talented you are, your talent alone is not as talented as when you put your talent with the all, all, all the rest of the talents. No matter how wealthy you are, your wealth is never going to be as much as if when you put it together with all the rest of the wealth. No matter how gifted, how talented you are, you are not more talented than all of us put together. No matter how God wants to use his church. I want us all to stand, and I'd like the worship team to come up. Thanks. Man, I didn't get through this sermon, but anyway, just the way it goes. So I want to challenge us. What do you need to get rid of? To be part of the body, who do you need to forgive? Who are you going to pray for? Even this week. Who are you going to encourage when you participate in a church service? Not very many people come late, leave early, you know. I'll just come for the message. Well, why don't you come for what the message talks about? Encouraging people, building people up. Second question, what has God gifted you with? Have you identified what your giftings are? If not, as you walk out the door, look to the left. I've set up a table there of resource. The book on baptism is there. There's other books and resources, Bibles. There's also a manual that just has a questionnaire to help you identify what your gifts are. Take one. And, and if you take one of them, it's free. Don't treat it like it's free. Take it. Spend the 20 minutes or half an hour, fill it out, discover what you're gifted in. So that's out there as you leave. You can pick that up. And hopefully you'll identify. And then thirdly, are you using what God has gifted you with? Are you using those gifts? Are you active in some kind of a ministry? I, I love it. I watch people, past, ex-pastor of 40 years, Brian out there, car parking. I, I, I look at Brownie amongst the 50 million other things he's doing. He's putting signs out on the road so people can identify and, and, and find their way to church. Some of you have perhaps been here as a result of that. I, I look at people just serving and serving and serving because that's what the body does. What way is your ministry glorifying God? And will you join this week to make this world a better place because Jesus is here. Father, I just thank you for every person in the sound of my voice. If you're watching online, I'm going to give you a chance to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. If that's you and you don't know him, this message primarily was to the church, to the body, but if you're listening and you've listened this far all the way to the end, it's because you're interested, hopefully, in becoming part of that. 
So I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me along with everybody that's here right now. Say this after me. Say, dear God, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your son to pay the price for my shortcomings called sin. Jesus, I accept you. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, let us know. Drop us an email. Subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel. Share the messages with other people. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.